This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Gusto, modern, easy payroll benefits for small businesses across the country. And because you're a listener, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. Find out at gusto.com slash tape. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jansen. My guest today is Jeannie Blish. She pioneered the role of chief customer officer, even wrote a book with that title, and she's held the first ever chief customer officer job for over 20 years at places like Land's End, Microsoft, Caldwell Banker, and Allstate. She's also written a newish book called (laughs) Would You Do That to Your Mother? The Make Mom Proud Standard for How to Treat Your Customers. So Jeannie, welcome back, I guess it is. Yeah. Hey, John. So good to hear your voice. So I guess let's just cut to the chase. How would your company act if every customer were your mom? Right. It's interesting. And and the, the I've had a lot of people come up to me and say, well, you know, why didn't you make it be about fathers? I said, this is an analogy for people who you admire, who help to mold you into what you are so that you go back and have a simple guide wire right? No matter who you are, if you're the CEO of the organization, are you going to charge extra for pillows or, you know, all of these things? If you're in the middle of the organization, are you going to make a spaghetti bowl of complexity so hard? And, and if you're on the front line, you know, even if you have to say no, maybe you would say it the way you'd say it to your mother when you were a teenager, but hopefully we're through, we're all through that dark tunnel and we, we wouldn't talk to our mom that way anymore, you know? So it's, it's just meant to be simple. Yeah. And I think, I think, as you said, I mean, I think everybody, regardless of the relationship they had with their mother, I think universally right. people understand the concept and what you're basically just, I mean, let's take mom out of it. You're just saying, you know, what if it was, <laughs> you know, somebody you loved, you know, is that yep. how you would treat them? <laughs> you know, That's right. Well, and it's interesting because it brings me full circle. It's to me, it's a conscience question. When um, I was at Land's End a million years ago and we were dro- growing 80% a year and bringing in all kinds of new people who weren't acclimated to our very special culture, Gary made me the conscience of the company and said, look, you, you need to help us steer our decision-making because there's good people coming in who are making decisions guided by legacy vertical practices or business as usual practices. And that's not who we are. And so it's a conscience question, a very simple conscience question that anybody can embrace. Yeah. Well, and I think it runs very deeply to culture. I mean, that the fact that yes. a lot of CEOs outgrow the ability to to kind of keep their eye on that because they're, especially when they become public companies and things. But even, even, you know, somebody that gets 20, 30, 40 employees, they start, I mean, that's an important part of their job, but they start losing the ability to do that. So, I mean, the, the Land's End uh, example that you just gave, I mean, that was a conscious decision to to make sure that somebody was focused on that. I mean, so is that really what we have to do as companies? It has to be somebody's job? Well, you know, I, I think that as you're trying to simplify the complex, at least for a period of time, we're finding that a CCO, CXO, whoever, or a group of people, you, you need to think comprehensively across the organization. However, there then needs to be enough clarity of purpose that when people go back to their own corners of the world, there's something that unites them. And um, that's why this book also is 
is broken into very practical dimensions. What I wanted people to feel, John, when they were reading this is their own life as a customer. So it's written as you as a customer so that you can feel and go, oh man, I know how that is. Why would I do that to anybody else? So do you find that there, what's the right word, certain sort of <laughs> character traits <laughs> that come into play here that make somebody you know better at recognizing this across an organization? I mean, it's, you know, you can simply say, oh, be a good person, you know, <laughs> which, oh, which, yeah. which obviously makes sense. But, you know, how do you, you know, what are the, what are the traits that we're trying to hire for and, and train for? Well, yeah, I, you know, and, and th this is also, I think it's important to note, not just about the front line, it's also about the decision-making for how you'll operate. You know, I call it building your non-negotiables, your code of conduct, but we can talk about that in a minute. But the very first chapter is about enabling your people to thrive, meaning letting them live with congruence of heart, how they were raised and habit, what you're encouraging and rewarding them to do at work. And there's a, there's a whole set of foundational things that have to occur you have to find a way to hire people. So you're hiring the human, not the resume. And a lot of organizations are now turning that into the combination of art and science. There's people who are beautiful, beautiful practitioners at this, but there's also companies who have figured it out. For example, um, pale Sun sudden service in Tennessee, uh, they're hiring teenagers to flip bigger burgers, make ham hot dogs, et cetera. But um, they ask a psychometric survey in the beginning, which is things like, in general, I feel pretty good about myself. When I meet people, I trust them right away. I raise my voice when I'm uncomfortable, you know? And so, um, what I think is powerful about that is they get to know the human and then their senior leadership all spends 20% of their time per week, not coaching them on how to make hamburgers, but coaching them on their human instincts and how to be a better person and how to behave, you know, behave in a good way in terms of coaching their, their, um, humanity. And I think that's part of what's missing. You know, we're not, we're, we're focusing on survey scores and things instead of coaching and guiding and enabling people to rise instead of saying, Oh, you took too long in that call or, you know, whatever it is. Um, the other part of it is getting rid of rules that get in people's way. You know, when we turn our people into policy cops, John, they're defending rules they don't necessarily believe in. And every time they have to defend an angry defend a rule to an angry customer, guess what? Their spirit diminishes too. So in that first chapter, which is called be the person I raised you to be right. Momisms. There's the eight um, specific actions that are common to the most admired companies um, because of the way their employees sound, feel, act when they interact with them. You know, on that policy thing, and sometimes I get a little passive aggressive, and I don't mean to, but <laughs> but uh, you well, know, well, we we know too much when we interact <laughs> with companies, right, John? So we know kind of the inner workings. And, and so you'll encounter somebody, and they'll say, "Well, that's the way it is. That's our policy." And you, and I and I sometimes go, you know, does that make sense to you? Right. <laughs> you know, if you were well, a customer, and boy, you know, you could to your point, you can just see them go, "Well, no," but that's, you know, I don't even really they're wincing. Well, and here's the other thing that's silly about that is, okay, you and I. And most customers know now, if you don't like it, you escalate. Okay. The minute you escalate, we've now call cost the company more money or you play service roulette, which I do all the time. You hang up and dial back in and hope for somebody who's been there long enough to navigate it and do the workaround. And so now we've diminished the spirit of the first person and we've cost the company more money. And in each of these cases, it could have been avoided if we enabled our people and that's in there to extend grace 
you know, Alaska Airlines, for example, has something they call a We Trust You Toolkit, which is uh, an app with options. Their CEO says, look, we trust you. You're in the moment. Engage with the customer, make the call, and then choose from the option that's right. It could be miles, a bottle of champagne, a night at a hotel. Make it right. Don't ask for permission. But that takes a lot of work up front, right, John, to identify those 10 to 15 things uh, um, evaluate and understand what you can let people do and then trust them to do it. One of the things I find in a lot of organizations, and this can be big and small, is that I think people underestimate um, how much everybody has impact on the customer's experience. And so, right. you know, you, you've got all this training for the frontline people and then the leaders are back in the conference room talking about what idiots the customers are. Um, That's right. And I think that people really underestimate that that has impact. Well, and, and that's a big part of this chief customer officer role. I mean, one of the things that people often don't realize when they take the role, and that's there's a whole chapter on that in, in my, my latest CCO book, is a big part of your job is to unite the C-suite, not only in um, understanding the customer, but in language and in their sentiment. So much of what we we have to do is get them out in the field, talking to customers, being human. If you're going to talk about something that's not working, give them homework to try to download that thing or sign up for an account the week before. Um, yesterday in my podcast, I interviewed the chief customer officer of TGI Fridays. It was fascinating because when they began, every C-suite member had to go to restaurants and sit in booths and talk to customers. And I'm telling you what, you get more religion from that than presenting 50 million pounds of survey results. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you present a lot of uh, great case studies. You just shared, you know, one that you're continually yep. working on. Uh, did you have a couple favorite that, favorites that you wanted to share? And mainly as they relate to like the impact that, you know, that this change that maybe somebody may have had. Um, you know, there's a couple that really made me giggle when I saw them. I, I love a lot, all of, I mean, there's almost, a hundred companies highlighted in the book and 32 specific case studies. Um, one that I, I, I was just so fascinated by was, um, Virgin hotels that, and it's all about the nickel and diming, you know, how many of us haven't winced when we've cracked open a bottle of Coke in the middle of the night. We know we're going to be so mad when we get that $7 chip bill on our thing. And, and so, you know, they, they deliberately, and this is in the last chapter called take the high road where to your point, it's all about leadership bravery. I call it Raul Leal, you know, he considers Wi-Fi a right, not a revenue stream. They also don't charge to deliver your meal. Um, they haven't factored in all those add on costs as part of their revenue. And so they're never going to be tempted um, when going gets rough, instead, they're going to earn the right to growth through service, not these add-on fees. And um, what had me giggling was, uh, I, you know, I, you do so much searching on the internet as you're writing these things, you know, that um, they have this thing called street pricing, meaning they have a little red old-fashioned refrigerator in every room, and on the top of it is the chips and the Cokes and, the, and stuff. And their um, leaders, their managers go out in the field with a clipboard and uh, find out how much all that stuff costs at your corner market, and that's what they will charge you. Yeah, and that and that's great because you're you're right. I mean that nickeling diming, you know, particularly for people that that travel a lot. I mean, I <laughs> yes, can't sir. tell you, I can't, I can't tell you the impact that the fact that I get two free bottles of water has. You know that that costs them. Oh, what, yeah. what do you think it costs them? Sixty nine cents to make me happy. Maybe, maybe <laughs> there's a there's a cartoon in. Um, 
I hired a cartoonist and the cartoon for this one is, um, so the bottle was $7 and it says, the, the caption says, only 30 times more expensive than gasoline, which needs to be located, drilled, refined and delivered in tanker trucks. Um, and, and yeah, it's, you know, you know, everybody knows how much Costco water costs, you know, for example. Um, yeah, it's, it's very, very powerful. And I think what's important about all of this is all of these things impact your employees because they're watching going, okay, this is the kind of company we are. And it hardens your people over time because guess what? They've got to defend that too. And don't you hate the ones where, especially like in Vegas, if you move the water, you're, you're charged $7 for it. Yeah. There, there is an element of sort of criminalizing, you know, customer activity, isn't there? Yeah. 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 I was in Vegas, um, the other week for a speech and, there was a coffee machine in the room, which was unusual. Um, but then what wrecked it was there was a coffee cup and shrink wrapped inside the coffee cup was the pod with a $7 sticker on top of it. Of course, they have a little different objective than you having a nice stay. Everyone loves payday, but loving a payroll provider? That's a little weird. Still, small businesses across the country love running payroll with Gusto. Gusto automatically files and pays your taxes. It's super easy to use, and you can add benefits and management tools to help take care of your team and keep your business safe. It's loyal. It's modern. You might fall in love yourself. Hey, and as a listener, you get three months free when you run your first payroll. So try a demo and test it out at gusto.com slash tape. That's gusto.com slash tape. The other one, the other one I thought was fascinating, which has become a darling of retail when other companies are failing, is Stitch Fix. Um, Stitch Fix, uh, for people who don't know, is a delivery service. Think of it as Netflix for clothes, and they've everybody's talking AI, 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 right? But but this part of the book is about building what I call a respect delivery machine, meaning you know you know me and know who I am is one of the foundational things we all would like to have as a customer, but don't often receive. So they've blended really specific practices for getting to know who you are and including asking you for your Pinterest pins. Then they'll gather AI information to collect other people's behaviors common to yours. But then they have 4,000 stylists who then take all this and customize it and personalize it to you and learn from you let's say they send you six items and you return four every time they re- you return something they're sharpening their saw on the dossier they have on you personalizing and understanding you and um they do other things my girlfriend mindy was uh, going through breast cancer she's fine now but she said to her stylist i need comfy clothes for the next few months she got a box of comfy clothes and then you know a bouquet of flowers from her stylist and it's 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 that humanity but blending the high tech and high touch a hundred percent of what they sell is from recommendations. Now compare that to Amazon, for example, which is about um, 37%. And they've grown to exceed $730 million in, in six years or more where other retailers, we know what's happening to other retailers. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, that's, that's not a business I'd want to, I wouldn't want to have a bunch of real estate, uh, with the doors on them and merchandise in them right now. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of other ones throughout it. I worked really hard um, to not make these be just the big bang companies, but, but other industries and smaller companies. And, and so much of this behavior, John doesn't cost anything. It's an attitude shift and, and focusing and being deliberate and recalibrating what you do. Okay. That's all lovely. 
But, you know, okay, I, know I know some of my listeners are out there saying, yeah, but how do I start to operationalize this? Well, so throughout every case study, there is an action plan for you. So um, inside each one, it, it walks you through what they did. It get, you have a mom lens to evaluate how you're doing. And then there's an audit at the back where you can audit where you are and prioritize and start taking action. So it is a complete toolkit. It's a five-step toolkit. Um, each chapter is broken into the four key areas of business we need to improve. Number one, are you taking care of your employees? Number two, chapter two, are you making it easy or difficult for your customers? Number three, are you growing because you're building and rebuilding your operation around customers' goals? And number four, what bad business happen habits have seeped into your business that you should deliberately choose to get rid of? Every single one of those drives your growth engine. You don't have to do all of them. You should just do the audit, pick three, and begin. You, um, One of the things, my favorite things of visiting uh, the website that you set up for this book, which um, I'm going to ask you to share, but you've got all these um, stories of moms and people yeah. submitting their moms, you know, these some, some very old pictures in cases um, and kind of talking about this movement. Have you, have you moved the dial with this movement, do you feel? I, you know, I, I think that people, it's interesting. People really are gravitating to it and being very personally connected to it. But what we know is, and, and I think it's giving people hope and driving action. Um, what we know though, is we need to get leaders really personally engaged in this work and, um, it, it's happening. It's a lot of the CX work is not happening as fast as we'd like because it's being assigned to someone in the organization and instead of the leadership team saying, we own this, this is our responsibility. And I think inside of companies, until that happens, they won't transform to the level that they need to. Well, it's like everything too. I mean, it, it especially if you've got to change some things, it requires an investment that uh -huh. sometimes is hard to drop to the bottom line immediately. Right. But what this book is doing is letting people take personal ownership. We're having huge impact with uh, call centers and frontline driven organizations. And then some very large organizations I'm working with are using it because it shorthands it, right, John, you, you don't have to solve everything, but it, 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 it simplifies the 32 things in your business, which you should have a magnifying glass to. And that's really what I wanted to do. So what's the one thing that would guarantee this will fail? Making it be about red, yellow, and green dots and project plans <laughs> instead of really understanding there's a human at the end of your decision and embedding a regular cadence for understanding the life. This is not about those project plans. It's about deliberately choosing how you will grow and how you won't. Well, and I think uh, what trips a lot of people up is, is, you know, they're very, they read a book like this and they think, yeah, this will help us, you know, and, but the bottom line is you, you actually have to care about the customer. It's work. That's right. Well, and, or somebody will read like somebody, I got a review on Amazon for my chief customer officer 2.0 book, which is, you know, it took me 35 years to be able to, I wrote one in 2006 and then rewrote it in 15 because the work at the world had changed so much. And it's, there's so much that you have to do. And they said, Oh yeah, just everything I already knew. Like, Really? Yeah. Bless well, them. Well, that's, yeah, I was going to say, that's probably true. I mean, you know, treat your customers as, as you'd like to be treated. Yeah, I knew that already, but are you doing it, but, right? Well, yeah, and here's 32 things. And yeah, it's it's like anything else. The harder you work, the luckier you get. And I, I think people don't do the work. Jeannie, where can people find out more about, obviously, would you do that to your mother, but also any of your work? 
Sure. So my main website is customerbliss.com and um, the um, the uh, other website is uh, Make Mom Proud. You had to go look that one up almost, didn't you? Well, I couldn't remember if it was .org or whatever because somebody owned um, – Oh yeah, and that's somebody owned right. com. We gotta we gotta not lock those down, you know, before we t- name our books now, right? Oh, I know. I um, I really tried. Um, oh, it's make mom proud with dashes between it. That's what I ended up doing because it was uh, there was a little theater company who owned Make Mom Proud, and I I called him and talked to him, and he was like, no, this was and for good reason. He had built it for his mother who had passed away, so I couldn't really fight with him for that one. It was great visiting with you again, and uh, hopefully we'll good to run, talk to you. Run into you there soon out there on the road. Would love to see you again. Okay, and thanks everybody. <laughs> <laughs> 